welcome to MSP 1337. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, a show dedicated to cybersecurity challenges, solutions, a journey together, not alone. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MSP 1337. This week, I'm joined with joined by Jay Lamb of Core Plus. Welcome to the show, Jay. Chris, great to be here. So this is a shift not in the content of our show, but in the topic. This is the first time where we've really talked about regulation, I think, since maybe even the first season. I mean, I've talked about, you know, things, bad things happening, HIPAA, sure. Uh, But this week we're talking about FTC safeguard rules and more specifically what is coming down the proverbial pike, if you will, with regards to impact on the automotive space. And specifically for those of you listening, like the car dealership down the street from your office or your house. And Jay, um, before we get into it, if, if you can give a little bit of background on, on what you do and sort of your experience, Core Plus, uh, I'm not going to ask you what book are you reading today, but like, just give me a little background on, on Core Plus, because I think for our conversation leading up to this, I think it will really help set the stage for both the opportunity and, and the risks that are currently happening in, in all of our neighborhoods and the opportunity and, and challenges that, that come along with that. Now, Chris, greatly appreciated. Um, you know, I have, I've, I've spent 30 years in the, in the security space, um, going back to the early nineties with companies like, uh, like McAfee and, and, and Norton, and, you know, was in the enterprise application space with Siebel, Oracle, and the list goes on. Um, Core Plus was founded in, in 2006. Um, a lot of what we focused on and our, and our customers range from the OEMs all the way down to, um, um, you know, dealers, uh, large automotive groups. And, and we're, we're very diversified. I know today we're going to spend a lot of time talking about FTC sure. and the automotive industry. Um, but I really think that this is a, this is a wake up call. Um, we're all aware that cyber threats are out there, right? Um, and ransom is on the on on the rise. Um, so I think more, more than anything, this is um, this is about uh, assuring that the right security measures are in place for your organization uh, and understanding the risk. You know, it's interesting because uh, as we think about sort of this last year, um, really large part of 2022, we saw uh, NIST and um, COBIT and, and several other frameworks all launch, you know, additional controls and safeguards into their into their frameworks. And we just saw recently, you know, going into this year, you've got ISO has added, I think it's another 11 controls, largely focusing on privacy. And I think it's a little bit, I'm going to say it's not coincidental that we're seeing something similar coming out of the, the FTC safeguard rules with regards to what they're now calling out for. And, and obviously we're focusing on this being for, for the automotive space, but the reality is it's coming for you, right? Like, so today it's automotive tomorrow. It's still in the blank. We've done a terrible job uh, self-regulating. We've done a poor job of, of really taking uh, risks seriously. I hate to use the word cybersecurity because I think at the end of the day, uh, our jobs, regardless of what vertical we're in, is to provide the best quality of service to our clients. Unfortunately, today, we now have to incorporate layers of, uh, for lack of a better word, security 
that we didn't have to going back, say, 10 years, 15 years, because we just didn't have that threat surface, that threat landscape that might directly impact or close the doors on our businesses. So with, with the safeguards, we saw that the FTC extended another six months. And we've seen that pattern too with CMMC, like, oh, we're going to extend it again. Um, but I think this is this is one of those where extension time is time out, right? Like they're not going to do this again. And, and there's quite a bit of evidence out there to say, this was the last straw, the final, if you will, the final the final uh, finish line is here. We're not going to keep playing this game anymore. And you and I were talking about it. So why, why is the FTC mandating dealerships to the safeguard rules compliance? Why, why is that? You know, I, I love it. If you, if you think about it, and, and I love the way that you describe, we all know the problem is broad. Right. <laughs> and, the, and, and threats are everywhere. The answer on the FTC is if you look at the statistics, FTC looked at the statistics. 84% of auto dealers in the U.S. market have had one or multiple breaches in the last two years. Can I just so, say I don't care? Like, I mean, couple that with, you know, AT&T and T-Mobile breaches, and then you start going down the Experian and like fill in the blank. Like, I mean, we're all kind of desensitized to saying the word breach and, you know, my stuff's been ransomed and encrypted, but guess what? Uh, we didn't pay the ransom and we're back in business. Oh gosh. Okay. Now that's, you know, I, I love going down that rabbit hole. Um, what are the do's and don'ts in, um, if, if, if you've had a breach, um, I won't go too far down that rabbit hole sure. other than data exfiltration, right? Yep. What's, what's been accessed coming back to the FTC rule and the reason for the change. It's no longer a gray area, right? Up, to, uh, up, up until June 9th of this year. And yes, the extension, why the extension? Well, nobody heard the wake up call. They needed more time. Now everybody's pinky promised we're going to get buttoned up and we're going to you know run through this checklist and have everything in place by June 9th. Why is the shift from the gray area to opaque? Well, because these are financial institutions and the number one risk is consumer data getting out on the dark web. Right. The liability of the consumer, the liability of the brand and the FTC is stepping up and seeing that the automotive industry hasn't stepped up to protect consumer privacy and the sensitive PII, primarily data that is sitting on desks, right. on computers, and that service providers have access to. So this is really just a natural natural progression of what we've seen with GDPR, CCPA, and other privacy acts that have been implemented that have quite awesome, quite honestly been stricter for a handful of states than really the rest of the country. Now we have the FTC saying, hey, what's the what's the next sort of space we could focus on that we know needs to be addressed? And what better than, I mean, after banks, me going into, you know, get them apply for a, a car loan or a mortgage at a bank. I mean, that's essentially what a car dealership does unless I'm paying cash and they still want to collect my information. I mean, heaven forbid you go to a car dealership today and tell them you want to write a check for the car 
you will make them roll around, spin around, and and literally like the room gets dark and they, they, the demonic voice is like, you didn't even give us a chance to give you this amazing rate. And you're like, I just want to leave with the car. Um, well, you know, the, the, the no-brainer here is we've all been in the finance department at some point in time sure. at, at a dealership, right? Yep. The information that we filled out, like you described, it's just like being at the title company and going right. to close. They have all that information. Um, and, and we and, know it's important because if you end up leasing or, or or it's a loan, you don't actually own the car outright. Well, then that pink slip ends up going to the courthouse and is stored where you don't have it because it's not yours. So even <laughs> how many how many different organizations and individuals or, or, or groups now have your information in, in a category they really have no reason to have in the first place? You know, I've been, and I love that. Uh, I love that track because it's an extension of the dealership as well, right? I, right. We listen. We listen to our customers. You know, two years ago, and then looking at one of the questions you ask is, okay, who has access to this information? It's not just internal employees. It's not just sales or service or finance. It's also third-party groups, right. marketing firms that are running campaigns. Um, and the shift here is you have to pre, you have to have the uh, the right level of protection, whether that's your access controls, um, authentication, MFA. If you don't have those in place, you are subject to fines on June 10th. Right. So that that kind of comes back to that next question of what happens after June 9 of 2023. They are now subject to fines for not having. Um, and we'll get into that in a little bit, like what it is specifically that they're looking for. But, you know, how long does it typically take to fix a breach in a dealership? It's a great, it's a great question. Um, you know, back to some of the metrics. If 84% have had a breach in the last two years, and we uh, statistically know that the average is 30 days to recover. The number one question is, what is the impact to your business if you can't sell or service a vehicle for 30 days? Now, the answer that I get back most of the time, is it catastrophic? Right. I mean, we saw we saw COVID, you know, when when everybody was supposed to essentially not go anywhere. Car dealerships had a, had a real hard time selling cars. And that that wasn't a direct attack on the individual dealership. Right. So. My experience with car dealerships and 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 knowing some dealerships that uh, on average to to maintain your job as a salesperson at a car dealership, you have to at a minimum sell ten cars in a month. That was the the statistics I was given. So uh, a disruption of thirty days is, and you only had one sales guy. At a minimum, you didn't sell ten cars. Right. That's a lot of cars. I mean, for a small dealership, that 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 would be a that's a lot of that is a lot of revenue that just is gone. That's it's evaporated, and you know, it kind of goes back to another topic we 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 touched on, um, which is okay. Well, do I yeah, do, am I negotiating with threat actors? Am I settling a ransom, or am I scrapping everything and just standing up everything anew? From, right, which from, we've seen that too. Yeah, and I'm not going to get on my soapbox as far as um, best practices. Um, 
because I know the audience may, may vary as far as opinion. I will say that the number one concern is the landscape has changed in the last 20 years. This isn't just a payload that's going off on one system. Um, this isn't a zero day like a Melissa. This is all about data exfiltration today. And you can't uh, undo that once it's done. Uh, that, that, that's exactly it. So if and when more, it's not a matter of if. I, sure. you know, when I'm on a stage and I'm talking to 100 people, there's 84 people in the room or more. They know exactly what I'm talking about. And when I ask the question, how many have had a cyber breach in the last year? Right. And no hands go up. Yeah, that's just denial. <laughs> so you know, th th there's an absolute uh, there. There's an absolute wake up call. It's not a matter of if; it's when. You've got to get things buttoned up inside your your dealership, your auto group, and the conversation doesn't start in finance. It doesn't start in sales or service or IT. The conversation needs to start at the top of the organization. If you look at the FTC's mandates for a security charter and an appointed person inside your organization, what does that mean? That right. really means accountability. The FTC is looking on June 10th. On June 10th, you are now subject to fines of up over 40,000 per incident. So what does an incident look like on the fine side of things? Well, we'll just take one category. Um, identity theft. Okay. Customer has 200,000 records. Threat actors get access, ransom, breach, data exfiltration of 200,000 records on the dark web. And the threat actors are looking to sell that. Responsibility. State by state, 200,000 records in any state is going to require disclosure. Right. So someone inside your group is sending out 200,000 letters to customers. So just the letters alone with current postage rates, I mean, this isn't cheap. <laughs> there you go. Now, the fines, you're, it's going to vary from the FTC. But I will tell you that the risk is for each identity that is compromised. Yeah. $42,000. Right. So whatever the caps are is kind of neither here nor there because it's 10 records is a lot like for yeah. a dealership that this isn't small, small potatoes. So, so I, I think, I mean, we could spend a lot of time talking about the doom and gloom of not, but let's, let's shift gears and, and talk about like, you know, what's the opportunity here, both from a, um, you know, do the right thing. If you know the guy at the car dealership to say, Hey, are you aware of this is one, one thing you could say, but, but, you know, as I was going back through it, just to to highlight some of the expectations, um, you know, because the idea of like, once I'm compliant with, am I done? It's like, well, no. And and I think our audience largely knows that compliance is kind of like driving, you know, uh, a car in in, in uh, NASCAR or, or some sort of race where just because you're in the front uh, of the pack doesn't mean you don't still pull off and have your car serviced at the pit stop and make sure that you got good tires and you fill up the gas tank, those kind of things. Like it's, it's a continuous cycle, even though you may only have 40 more laps around the track, whatever, however you want to do the analogy, but, but let's talk a little bit about the, the requirements uh, of the dealership. So we know that, 
you got to designate a qualified individual to oversee the the security program. That seems difficult. So I would suspect that most dealerships are going to maybe name somebody from a uh, name the accountability, but then I would think that this is an opportunity for them to, you know, whether they're hiring Core Plus or or a solution provider in their region to be that um, authoritative expert working with someone on the inside to make sure that the following list of things happens. Is that fair? Yeah, I think you're, you know, you're absolutely spot on. We, you know, Core Plus looked at the problem with exist, you know, with, with our customer base two years ago. And the question was, okay, do we, are we going to hire full-time employees that are going to be at each of our locations that are security experts? We have to, uh, we have to appoint someone that is going to be this, this CISO. Right. Um, I'm having conversations with people that are looking at me a bit cross-eyed. What's, what is CISO? Um, yeah. And don't look up the salary, like through glass door of like, what's the average, you know, dollar amount a CISO gets paid. Cause then they're like, well, regardless of what we were going to do, we're not getting a CISO. Yeah. Well, and, and, and there you have it. And who is best suited to have that accountability inside an auto group? Sure. Um, it's typically an ops resource. So if you look at many of our customers, I think you described it well, Chris, this is this is um, accountability inside with Core Plus is taking the approach through our platform and security services that we align with that individual. And, you know, another thing that you mentioned is compliance isn't one and done. Right. I, I love that your audience understands that, but many, you know, many our clients are all are all in that belly. Like, well, when, when are we done? When are we done? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, nobody likes to hear that you're, you know, that you're never done. Um, <clears throat> it's how do we, how do we <clears throat> implement a, you know, all of these policies and procedures and who's going to make sure that that's followed. Right. Um, re- really goes back to one of the, one of the first things, which is a security charter or, or having this alignment. You know, if you're a dealer group that has, you know, 10 locations, you need to have a central charter. Mm-hmm. You need to have a steering committee that meets quarterly. You need to be performing assessments. And those assessments are not one and done, right? Those assessments are things that you're going, you will do quarterly. Um, and based on frameworks like NIST, when there are changes, the questions that are that are asked during those assessments will also change. So it's staying on top of that. And 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 the perfect marriage there is the operational knowledge and expertise inside that gives the FTC the accountability that they're looking for. Right. And ultimately they have to learn this, right? We can't just say we're outsourcing this responsibility. And like, I mean, you've got, you know, trained security personnel, uh, limit and monitor who can access sensitive information. Like good luck doing that out of the gate. Like just walking in and be like, yep, sorry, you can't see that anymore. That I'd fly over like a lead balloon. Right. But, but with training and, and an articulation around the, the, the repercussions of not doing this and getting that organization to buy into why this is so important. Like they, they have some responsibility here and they're finally being finally being called out on what should have been, a focus for them this entire time. Like you're dealing with information that is worth a lot of money to bad people. And your only concern is how many cars you can sell this month. 
Yeah. And that's the real, and that's the real wake up call. Um, and I love the way you described it. You know, user adoption is key. Uh, training. It's not just the mandate of training, but we have an opportunity to educate the customer uh, on the, on the risk and the value and how to cost effectively mitigate that risk. Uh, that's certainly what Core Plus has done. And that's, that's the wake up call that the FTC is, has certainly announced. I'm not going to say that it's falling on deaf ears. No. I just think that it's, um, some groups are faster faster to move than others. I, and- I mean, I look at the bullet points. We were talking about this before the show. I, I think about even even a larger car dealership, the investment in IT personnel is not high. It, it just from what I've seen, that that's not an area of spend that they focus on. Um, back when I had my men's services company, we had several car dealerships, you know, they, they were more concerned about having fast internet connectivity between locations and the ability to quickly make phone calls to the other places for parts or, or whatever. That was like, if the VoIP services stopped working, that, that was, that was a serious technical problem that whether it's tied to threat actors or not, that, that was bad. But today what we're really getting at is a, is a big shift that is going to require them leveraging third-party resources because they're not going to just decide, especially when you get into the smaller communities. All right, it's time to hire some security resources. Let's go to the local. Oh, wait, we don't have a university in our town. Or let's go see if we can get some kids out of high school that know how to turn computers on and can maybe assemble uh, you know, a faster gaming machine than the one my kids have at home. <laughs> this is a big change. And I, I can totally see why there was an extension done. I mean, from what is it was put in play, I was back in October of 2021. Fast forward and, you know, this last fall, they're like, we're going to give it a six month extension. And I think it makes sense because there really wasn't a lot of banners and and billboards that said, hey, this is coming. And to what you and I were talking about earlier, like, why are the car manufacturers, the OEMs, why aren't they saying anything? Because at the end of the day, they have a lot of risk in this too, right? Like the information that the OEMs are collecting on customers is also pretty significant because the little thing I get in my mailbox that says something about my car having a, a recall item isn't because of the due diligence of the car dealership I bought it from. Yeah, that's, and that's, a, that's a great topic. Um, what's coming down from the OEMs? What's coming down from the distributors? Because a lot of these auto groups are multi-brand, Sure. Yeah, sure. They've gotten the the notification email that says, "Hey, are you aware of the you know the safeguards rule that's going into effect on June 9th? But you're not getting a playbook behind that, right? Um, so there there is a shift really across industry to you need you you have to bring that security expertise in house. Doesn't mean that you need a you know full time employees. But you need someone that's going to and and the other point on that is security expertise is a is different than traditional IT. Sure. So topics like SOC 24-7-365, if if you are a service provider and you are you know coupled with an ops resource at a dealership. Those are the gaps 
or the enhancements in this in this punch list. Sure. It's not just MFA and phishing training on email. Right. You know, are are you designed to provide SOC services 24-7-365? And the answer is going to probably be a, a resounding no, because yeah. that's financially not really realistic for a car dealership. But that doesn't mean they can't engage with, say, Core Plus or whoever Core Plus uses to provide that 24-7, 365 SOC services. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I think you're bringing up a, this whole this isn't a foreign concept, at least not to the audience. The foreign part is they probably, many of them didn't know about the FTC safeguard rules that are impacting dealerships and creating a whole net new uh, vertical of opportunity. This is what all frameworks are about, right? And that is protecting data. So whether it's PCI and credit card data or you know HIPAA and healthcare, this FTC safeguard rule is along the same lines of saying, you've got to take this seriously. This PII we're specifically identifying is what car dealerships are collecting. And we're no longer going to allow this to just be lumped in with whatever the state guidelines are where you live to handle. These are the criteria for PII. They're saying, we know car dealerships, regardless of the state you're in, they're asking for this set of information. And every single one of the items in here falls under PII. You're now going to do something about it or face some serious repercussions because we're getting pretty good at figuring out how to buy cars online. We don't, the car dealership would be remiss to remember that with what happened with COVID and the shift in the industry, um, you could be out of business because you chose not to adopt this. At some point, the consumer side is going to say enough's enough. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're, you're spot on Chris. The, most most customers, most auto dealers would look and say, okay, if I have to hire a security expert and I've got to deal with a 24-7, 365 SOC services and not, this is all cost prohibitive. I can't, I can't do this. Right. Uh, there is the, there is a cost efficient solution. Uh, Core Plus has certainly strived to put a, a, a tremendous value on the table with our customers by providing the technology services and the security expertise, along with 24-7, 365 SOC services. Um, and that's that's the shift that's occurring. Um, if you look at the makeup of a dealership today, they don't they don't have that place. That's no. not what's required, and that's not the way that they've operated for some of them 50 years. Right. Right. Some of them are still doing it with pen and paper. They're probably fine. Believe it or not, <laughs> you know, they still have dot matrix. <laughs> you can still buy dot matrix printers, right? Um, so we have a few minutes left. Um, for those of you listening, coreplus.net is where you go find out more about coreplus and, and what they offer from uh, security risk assessments and SOC 24-7 and services like that. But what if, if you were to impart on our audience of, of the do part of this, because I think this is bigger, obviously, than, than car dealerships. I feel like every single person listening to this should be like, well, if it's coming down on FTC from, from the FTC to car dealerships, how many of the things in this requirement list are we doing in our own business? I'll tell you, there's that that's a great uh, that's a great direction, Chris. Uh, spending 30 years in the space. This isn't specific to automotive. Today no. we're talking 
about the FTC, but we're all aware of the shift. If we look 10 years ago, I had to enter a four digit code. And the only place that I had to do that was with my bank. Right. And that was only when you went to the ATM. Right. Right. Now we're seeing that starting to, you know, it bleeds over into almost every platform or email service or anything that we do. Right. Um, the information is being leaked. It's being collected and it, and it's across, it's across vertical. It's across industry. Um, the same thing that we're seeing in the automotive space, it rings true across the board. Yeah. Um, and I think that, well, for, certainly I'll speak to our, our experience in several spaces. When you move down market uh, into the mid-market or certainly into the SMB space, the same gaps that we're talking about in automotive are, are, are across industry. Sure. Uh, and the, the, the breaches, ransom, data exfiltration, and the risk to the consumer, it's only growing. So there's a real wake-up call to the, to the risk. Um, and what we're seeing from the FTC, we're, we're going to continue to see more of. It's certainly my belief. Yeah, I mean, we've watched this play out. I mean, you can, you know, good, bad with California, it's largely the, you know, ahead of the curve when it comes to things like privacy and security, just because Silicon Valley is in California. So you're going to see having to come up with rules or regulations for things that we haven't thought about because it's brand new. But in this case, it's not new. And I think largely across the 50 states, it's like it's like playing boggle, like, you know, fill out, fill in the space with the acronym and then try to come up with a definition to go with the word. And it's <laughs> as inconsistent as one might get. And, it, and it's not fair to the consumer, right? Like we shouldn't have to look at California for one set of rules for, for privacy and then Massachusetts or Texas or any other state for that matter on what what is PII? Because I think quite honestly, it's not that unique state to state. We we all have driver's license. We, we, all, we all have social security cards. Like this isn't rocket science. And I think to some extent the FTC coming down with this for for auto dealers and and those that are are collecting consumer information this should be a wake up call for everybody cuz it's it's not a question of if it's how soon is it coming to my doorstep that's exactly right any any uh final words jay before uh i let you go um you know chris i greatly appreciate the time today and the opportunity to share you know what's going on in automotive and, and really the wake up, the wake up call across the industry. Cool. I appreciate it. Well, for those of you listening, this has been an episode of MSP 1337. Thanks and have a great week.